Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm James Gill from the National Centre for Writing here at Dragon Hall in Norwich, England. In this episode, I speak to novelist and creative writing lecturer Ian Nettleton to discuss how to structure a novel. Ian explains many of the devices and structural elements that can keep readers engaged and how to ensure your story becomes a page turner. He also talks about some handy software that can help you structure your stories. Ian has been shortlisted for a number of prestigious awards, including those for his novels, The Last Migration and Out of Nowhere. He's also an associate lecturer in creative writing courses at Open University and works with the National Centre for Writing on a number of our own fantastic creative writing courses. This includes a brilliant series of short, self-paced courses on writing science fiction, which you can find on our website. As well as our short and self-paced courses, our 12-week tutored online writing courses are on sale now, and you can get 10% off if you book before July 3rd. We have courses in fiction, crime, memoir, historical fiction, creative non-fiction, and poetry. So head on over to the website, read more about the modules, and see which course would help you in your writing. It was as enjoyable as it was valuable talking to Ian, and we hope you find his insights useful in your writing. And so, without further ado, we bring you Ian Nettleton. From the very beginning, what exactly do we mean by structure, and what are we controlling and defining? There's a structure to any story. Uh, when we tell a story in a pub, we, we don't talk about going and brushing our teeth and going down and having some breakfast because no one's interested. There has to be a point of the story. So first of all, I guess, structure starts with an idea, I guess. Uh, uh, you think, well, this is a story that will go somewhere, whether it's a short story or, or something that's longer. Beyond that, I mean, the novel is obviously more complex than a short story, but it doesn't necessarily have to cover a, a bigger um, time scheme. So structure, usually something uh, disrupts the, I mean, talking in the basic terms, something disrupts the everyday, the equilibrium is disrupted, call it a trigger or a catalyst, if you like. So something disrupts the everyday, uh, and then you, you follow the, the journey of, the, uh, of a character as they either try to regain control and deal with the, with the circumstances. Uh, and, and so uh, the usual structure is that you start with a trigger and then the, um, the disrupts the everyday, and then you have a character on something of a quest, and there are peaks and troughs, moments of, of drama, and then, uh, then it relaxes at certain points. There's, there are turning points, for example. So in my mind, again, as a, a non-published writer, mm. um, as a hobby writer, we're saying that structure is not so much having, you know, a load of pastry and a sausage and chopping it evenly into right. bits and that's your story, is that structure is in fact devices right. and, and moments. Is that what you're, you know, you're saying? Okay. So you've got your story mm. and then, you know, part of that structure is the call to uh, action and then the, the next part is the, the pivotal bit and the resolution and so on. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I, I mean, what I, I don't tend, I mean, personally, I don't tend to apply any sort of structure beyond an idea and sometimes a point that I'm moving towards different writers have different approaches I mean Stephen King said that he doesn't he doesn't plot and you, I'm sure you, you're aware of he says he, he creates a situation puts his characters in that situation and sees where it goes a number of writers write that way um, or have written that way Brian Aldous was the same he said why would I plot it you know it's not going to be interesting to me I'm telling myself the story and so I'm discovering it as I go along but different things work for different writers some people they'll, they'll kind of come up with something like a treatment so the uh, you know a treatment for for a film is where you, you kind of write it out in in prose form, and I know a number of writers who will give chapter breakdowns. So they'll just basically be a line for every every chapter. I mean the the basic structure is the idea of a kind of climbing tension, and there might be peaks and troughs, but slowly moving towards a climax. And that's that's the same in a short story. It's the same in a scene. It should be anyway. 
then there's the battle or whatever the the moment the worst thing that could happen in the story and then there's the uh, the resolution and uh, usually with some sort of reversal to surprise the reader one of the things to bear in mind is what kind of novel you're writing mm. so if you're going to write a, a genre then plot is very important there's a kind of two types of novels if you like roughly speaking one is the the plot driven novel and then there's a character driven novel and the plot driven novel tends to be more towards the genre and maybe more towards popular fiction uh, and there are definite expectations the reader expects certain things so um in the whodunit for example well it's there in the in the it's there whodunit i mean it's either there's a there's a body and and the, the the mystery has to be solved it's a it's a working out of a puzzle and so um in a romance two people meet they don't fall in love straight away. You can tell there's something of interest between them, but there are obstacles, whether they're married or whatever, or, or they don't seem to like each other, but they're in conflict with themselves uh, or whatever. And eventually, of course, we, we hope that they'll get together. What you want to do is, uh, structure is useful in that sense. And, and with genre fiction, it gives you that kind of framework, which is, which is great. If you move towards the more kind of character-based stories, I don't want to say necessarily literary fiction, but it tends to be that way then uh, it, there can be a loose plot, but it isn't quite as defined, not quite as definite. Nevertheless, readers tend to look for some sort of promise of a story. I think really that's what we're looking for in the end. It's, it's always the promise of a story, back to that, when you're telling a story in a pub. You know, you, there's no point in telling a story if no one's going to be interested. They want to know what's going to happen. And it's, it's interesting you, you say Stephen King, and I suspect mm. that the people who can, you know, the pantsers, the people who can sort of mm. sit down and just write, and that it's a brilliantly compelling or mysterious or romantic story, though those are the exceptions. Mm. Um, and that actually, I imagine, and please tell me, mm. most people would sort of sit down and they've got a great idea for a story and they write and they write and they write, and actually it lacks the elements of structure that yeah. keep people driving through. And right. I, speak as, I speak as someone who wrote a you know, dystopian novel and right. the feedback that came back from, from people who read it was nothing happened till the middle. Yes. You just built this world, yeah. got kind of boring, yeah. nothing. So it lacked the, stru the structure. Yeah. So actually just sitting down and writing a story in and of itself is not going to give yeah. you, you know, The Stand by Stephen King. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, again, I'm, I'm very conscious that certain people say this is how you write, this is how you must write. You, know, you need to have passion. If you're not, I've got passion. You're not a writer. If you don't need to write every day, if you and when you write, you need to approach it in this way and that way. And I don't think that's true. Every writer has their own way of writing. You just need to listen out to people, writers who have got advice that chimes with you. As far as structure is concerned, yeah, I'm, I think the first draft is you just get it down. I think, and that's not a bad idea at all. So my advice to you with your novel <laughs> is is uh, you've you've now well you've been given the feedback, which is there's not enough narrative tension. There aren't enough raised questions uh, to, to draw the reader further into the story. Uh, and that's not uncommon. But you've got the material, and that's great. A number of writers say once they've got that down, that's the hardest part in a way. Then you can start playing with that material. I think of it as dough or, or play-doh it's been described as, and you start kind of moving it around. So, yes, I think first draft, probably, yeah, just don't stop yourself by worrying about the structure. Um, have it in mind, because you're going to save yourself more legwork later on. But when you come to a second draft... I mean, again, back to Stephen King, he says the first draft, he has the door closed. That's for him. Second draft, he has the door open, uh, which means he gives it to a reader who he trusts. Uh, and then he's starting to think about the readership. A really good question to ask, I think, and I do ask this of students sometimes, is what do you look for as a reader? Write down all the things you look for as a reader and then write a list of all the things you do as a writer. 
and often they're not really, they don't correspond. So why would you expect someone to read something that doesn't do what you expect it to do as a piece of fiction? So I think it's there are some hard questions to ask when it comes to second and third draft. And that's where structure, I think, comes in. It's, it's interesting. It's sort of, again, are we, we're mapping or bringing together those, the idea of you have this plot, and, or sorry, a story and some characters mm. and the stuff that they do. And then on the other side is the slightly more mathematical, methodical mm. processification, yeah. a horrible word. But, mm. And that's kind of where I feel like, you know, how is it that we balance the two? You've got your story mm. and now you need to ensure that there is that it has a structure that will drive people through. So mm. is it, you know, boring in the beginning or is it, you know, you rush too much of this or this character's not built mm. up. So including elements of structure to make sure that it has a successful structure. Mm. What are those elements? You mentioned a few earlier, the sort of, you know, call to action or there's mm. a crisis. Mm. What are those elements, um, or key elements, do you think of, of, of a generic, if you like, structure, things mm. to include to ensure that that you know you keep moving moving through um and, and actually just one i've heard recently was it's about the beginning of the book is about saying here's the thing that the person wants to achieve yeah. and then the rest of the book is about how they fail to achieve mm. it the things yeah. that are put in their yeah. way and yeah. that, i get yeah. a structure yeah. from that i can kind of feel that yeah i think actually that, that's a really good way of looking at it because one thing we haven't really talked about is character and character is absolutely key to any story um so I can't help but use some some uh, kind of some of the terms that you use when it comes to screenwriting. But a character usually has a want and a need, and want and need are key because what a character wants isn't necessarily what they need. In fact, they are off, are often in uh, conflict. Um, so, for example, a character wants to be rich, but what the character really needs is to find love or a family or something like that. I mean, if I can use a, a Hollywood a film. Uh, as an example, George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, which everyone watches, watches at Christmas, he is in conflict because he wants to go off and... Sorry, I always get emotional <laughs> for some reason. Um, he wants to go off and see the world and, and, and build bridges and everything, but what he needs to do is stay uh, at Bedford Falls and, and, and marry the love of his life. And that conflict is... That's why every scene, it, there's, there's conflict, and conflict is vital to any story. If you haven't got conflict, then there's no real story because he's in conflict with himself, so when he goes around to see the love of his life, he's in conflict with her, and uh, and and, in, and they're in conflict with the situation. Uh, so you've got three kind of levels of conflict. So a character needs to needs to want something uh, and also has a, has a need as well, and that that should drive the story. And then of course you've got to have obstacles, you've got to have things that are in the way, and the idea of kind of making it mathematical. I, I just I just want to go back to that actually just briefly, because it's a little bit like dissecting an animal and you know to see how it's well makes it live and of course you kill it at the same time and I think you've got to be really careful that you don't do that with a piece of writing but on the other hand editing is really important well let me put it this way I think you start with every scene every scene needs to work on its own terms just go right back to that I think and if a scene works then you can build from there so whenever you're editing I think you have one scene in front of you and you make sure that that's got conflict. You make sure that uh, a character wants something, there's, there's a problem, there's an emotional element to the story. A character on their own isn't as interesting as having two characters together. So uh, was it Chuck Palahniuk said this, that uh, you know, make sure you get a character with another character as soon as you can. Uh, and from that, you'll create a situation and that will that will drive the story forward because two characters mustn't want the same thing. They must be in conflict in, in what they what they want. For example, George Bailey and, and uh, a female character, they, they want different things. She knows what he needs, but he doesn't know it. And, and he doesn't want to be in love with her. He wants to go away, and she wants him to admit that he loves her. And so that's the conflict in that scene. Uh, by the end of the scene, he's admitted that he's in love with her. Um, and that's great. 
But then, of course, the next scene should should follow on from that. Well, what happens when they, they agree they're in love? Well, then, you know, they, they, in, in this film, they get married, etc. So as far as structure is concerned, if you start with the uh, each scene and make sure there's conflict in that and that characters are in conflict and they're in conflict with the situation, then that should carry the story forward to the next scene. And, and hopefully the same will happen with the next scene. And then if you open that out, each scene, all these scenes add up to a chapter. Um, of course, then you've got to have an overview of the, the story as a whole. But I think if you if you start at the you know in the what do you call it micro level, then the macro level will kind of to some degree will take care of itself. It's a it's a strange balancing act. Go on, I, I guess that's what Stephen King's doing. Now that you said that, yeah. I've never thought I've I've never sort of thought because it would seem to me utterly impossible to write a twelve hundred word but without having that. But actually, if you write it on a chapter mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. if each chapter works, mm-hmm. then people will keep travelling through the book. So yeah. you, your structure kind of can only work almost yeah. if you if you take it at that level. Um, and I love the uh, the metaphor of the of the dissection of the animal because, like with sort of um, a sort of Frankenstein analogies, you can get a heart and a lung and a body and a spine and some arms, but yeah. it doesn't make life. No. And that's things. So you can over mathematicalize, over scientify yeah. things. Yeah. But I think again, for those of us who are um, not the Stephen Kings and uh, Jean Le Carre's or whoever, you know, is that you will you need to at least compare you know to bring those two things together to ensure yeah. that your story works structurally yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a it's a strange it's a kind of like focusing act because because you you have to have the whole story in mind at some point and also actually a, a piece of practical advice uh, I'm, I'm advertising here but scrivener is a brilliant uh, tool for, for i don't know if you've used it um it's it's software and you, you can put the whole novel into it and you can break it up into um into uh, scenes, and this is what I do. Uh, what my, my process is, I'll write in longhand, then I'll type it up, or these days I'll dictate it and then have to retype it, of course. Then I'll put it into Scrivener, and, and then I'll move it around. And you can actually see if you've got John has got a scene, then Mary's got a scene, then Diane's got a scene, and then Diane's got another scene, Diane's got another scene. You think, well, maybe I need to kind of put some other scenes in between. And so actually you're looking at it as a structure, and you're just moving it around. As long as the story makes linear sense, and you're moving back and forth, you know, but it makes some sort of linear sense, then structurally, that is almost like a mathematical approach to it. Then you print it off and read it and you realise it doesn't quite work. And then you have to put it back in again. But, but Scrivener's really useful as far as that's concerned. But it is a focusing act because you don't want, again, that idea of, of being so mathematical that you can tell when a story is kind of procedural. You can tell when it's when it's almost been written to a... Um, formula. Yeah, formula. And uh, you can tell when a short story has. You can tell when a story... It's so clean that there's... There's kind of something, yeah, heart missing. I don't know what it is that's missing. So, so while you have that in mind, of course, it's immersing yourself in every single scene, and 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 what's called heightening the drama in every single scene. As a new and a hobby writer, you can be sort of looking around on Google and seeing lots of various sort of ways or types of structure. Um, so, for example, tell us a little bit about the the three act structure um, and and how we might use that in writing. Okay. Well, I mean, the three act structure is. Uh, it's the same as the what's called the plot resolution model they use uh, for screenwriting. I, mean, I don't think everyone uses it for screenwriting, but it's the general one. It's the industry standard. Structure is very important when it comes to screenwriting. And that's uh, what you do is you start again with a catalyst, something um, that breaks up the equilibrium, which is, or stasis, as it's called, in other words, the, the way the world is, um, and uh, gets disrupted. If if you were looking at it as a, in screenplay terms, it's the first 15 minutes of the film. But what you do is you establish the characters and you establish the situation, genre, etc. And so the characters respond to uh, the disruption of the, the catalyst that builds to what, in screenplay terms, is called the big event. 
and that that it relates to uh, novel writing as well and that's usually uh, about a quarter of the way in to the story if you like the big event is where everything that's been established is then something happens to, it's another turning point and turning points are important in fiction of course uh, that kicks us into the main body of the story and that's and that's the longest part the the second act the second act is a, is a build up of of tension there's usually a, a point a turning point probably midway or you know part way through this which is the what's called the pinch and the pinch is where a character has to commit uh, which is important because we're looking for characters to change characters don't always change in stories but usually that's what we're looking for that's what turning points are all about related to our own lives turning points in our lives are where we we become unrecognizable sometimes to the person we were before that moment so those turning points are important to us and, and we relate to that in the in the in the story so when a character comes to a pinch point and they uh, they commit or whatever they go from being uh, active to proactive if you like um you don't want a passive character there are ca passive characters in fiction like paul pennyfeather in uh, decline and fall um who is just pushed around everywhere and that's that's what's hilarious about it. Everything just happens to him. He just finishes up back where he started. But they're not generally interesting for, for the reader or, or the, uh, an audience in the cinema. Um, so, yeah, so the pinch point is where a character goes from being active, where they're responding to circumstances, to proactive, perhaps, where they decide to take the fight to whatever it is, to the monster, where they decide to, 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 uh, to take hold of things and do something. And we like it when people do that as we do in life you know when a person's struggling and then they decide to you know right no hang on i'm no longer going to do this i'm going to i'm going to do the uh, you know couch to 5k and i'm going to you know take a hold of my life and we like it when people do that and so we're rooting for them so that's about halfway through and then and then we it builds up to what i described earlier as the worst thing that could possibly happen and, and where everything just seemed hopeless suddenly hopeless the, everything's defeated and you'll see it in films you'll see it in series and you will see it in in, in, in fiction where everything goes wrong and it seems impossible that things can move forward from there. And so you surprise the, the reader then by, by things being in some ways resolved, sometimes not necessarily in a hopeful way, but in a, what you'd hope to be uh, an emotionally satisfying way. Emotionally satisfying being emotionally satisfying according to the, the, the story that fits with the story. Uh, so it could be a completely bleak ending, but uh, that's fine. So the resolution is where all these things get uh, yeah, resolved. But there will probably be a, some sort of reversal along the way, and then and then you finish up with a return to some sort of equilibrium, usually. And and I know there are there are other others that when you're poking around. I mean, I, I found one the seven point story structure. But is there anything in particular? Do you have a structure that you work to, or um, you know, again as a sort of a template from which to work rather than something to be locked into? But do you have ideas of structure and, and how things work when when writing fiction? I, I'm very influenced by cinema. I, I think writers are anyway. It's it's not original to say that. I and mean, Graham Greene said that we uh, writers write with the with the moving image in mind, with the camera in mind, moving camera in mind. In the way that in the nineteenth century, writers were influenced by uh, stage, uh, etc. That kind of thing. Um, so I do have film in mind, and I think that it's important to be able to visualise things. But I heard a writer on the radio the other day who said that she she never visualises. It's that's so. There you go. Horses for courses. Personally, um, I, I guess I, I have an, an end point usually. I'm probably moving towards a point where the story's going and uh, have a situation and a world, the world is very important, of course, to the story, where I feel it's, it's a big enough story to, 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 to you know, to take up 80,000 words. But the, the direction that I'm moving towards might change. 
So I allow for that all the time. I, I'm not very, I don't impose structure, to be honest. I probably think about it more when I'm editing. I probably think, well, actually, this, this, this chase scene needs to be cut down. You know, I need to, I need something to certainly to draw the reader in in, in the first chapter. And uh, yeah, I need some sort of probably worst thing that could ever happen thing towards the end. I think we kind of, again, back to that thing, I keep mentioning the pub like I'm down there every night, but, <laughs> but the whole thing about, you know, telling stories in the pub, we, we, we look for structure and we, we, we tell stories with a kind of structure. So there's a natural inclination to, to impose some sort of kind of structure, if you like, even if you're not thinking, well, I must make sure this happens on page 30 and this happens on page 80 or whatever, you know. So not, I don't particularly impose a structure, I have to say. So do you have any kind of uh, any pointers or particular things? We talked a little bit about devices like the inciting incident and so on. Mm. Do you have a sort of um, any, any others want to expand on that a little? There's not a lot more to add to that, but there is there's a kind of basic structure, if you like, that uh, that follows the kind of climb intention, etc., that I've mentioned earlier. The, the um, what you the, the outline that I usually give students uh, is is that you have a stasis, which is establishing the world of your story and its situation. And you can do that on the very first page. Look at Hamnet, for example. Something has already happened, something's changed uh, as Hamnet walks uh, through the house. But at the same time, you're establishing the everyday. So the everyday has been established, but at the same time, it's been disrupted. So stasis, establishing the world of your story. And then the trigger, uh, that's the that's the primary... Um, uh, the promise of events and a story with legs, if you like, a story that's going to go somewhere. Promises, it's interesting. A word, it's yeah. a word I've heard used. It's important to set up early on in mm. terms of a structure. Yeah. If the promise comes too late, then why am I even reading if yes. I don't have a promise yet? Absolutely, absolutely. I I, I regularly read stories. I, I'm, I read stories all the time. I'm you know with the Open University and everything, and and I'll read a story, and it's not unusual for me to get to halfway down page two, and I'll suddenly go ah, suddenly you know when you're suddenly drawn into a story. That's where, looking at other writers, of course, I mean, read, 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 and see how the writers do it. Best way of learning at all, you know, of all. I mean, you know, you don't have to come to my classes. There you go. Put me out of a job there. But, but you know, read other writers and see how they do it. You'd need a promise of a story. I, mean, I think a good example, one I, I use quite regularly, is um, if, you did, if you imagine the beginning of a novel where there's a description of a seaside town, and you've got the characters coming down on on the uh, on the coaches coming down for the for the bank holiday, and there's uh, an aeroplane advertising something for the health. There are houses like a, a Victorian watercolor, and it's a beautiful description. But there's no promise of a story, you know. That's it. Then, if you take that same story and begin with Hale knew before he'd been in Brighton three hours that they meant to murder him, with his inky fingers and his cynical attitude, you could tell that he didn't belong, belong to the uh, seaside town that you then describe with the people coming down and, and you know, the coaches and the, the aeroplane, etc. Now you think, well, I don't mind now reading this description, but there's a promise of a story. Hale knew they meant to murder him. Who's Hale? Uh, who intends to murder him? Why do they intend to murder him? Are they going to succeed? Uh, there are some great first lines, uh, uh, beginnings of novels, that, that just say this is going to take you somewhere. And it's exciting. I know that Kingsley Amos said, if a gun hasn't gone off in the on the first page, I don't want to read it, you know, <laughs> which is great. And there you go. There's a, well, I don't know if you count him as a literary giant, but certainly, you know, a man who's, you know, well, very well regarded. And, and he said, I want a story. Tell me a story. So the, the trigger is, in his case, literally a, a trigger, is the, is the means of drawing the, the reader in. It's exciting to think, well, hang on just a minute, what's, what's going what's to happen next? We, we're always, always curious about what's going to happen next. 
So then, you uh, after the trigger, I would say that you've got something that was called the quest. That's uh, what's your character's desire. So back to character. Uh, how does that drive the story? I mean, everything from Ulysses right the way through to the you know to, to Gatsby. You know, Gatsby arrives and he wants to reclaim his past. Dream seems so real that he you know he couldn't fail to grasp it. You know, he didn't know that it was already behind him, etc. So this is the thing. He's in conflict with reality. The reality is that he you know he's, he can't get his past back, but he fights to, and of course it destroys him. Sorry. Spoiler there, but uh, <laughs> if you haven't read it by now, I don't know what to say really, but <laughs> there you go. So, but there's a quest. The quest doesn't have to be across a, you know, uh, the Monday, Monday planes, but it's, it, it's, it's the desire, you know, and that desire needs to be there. Um, surprise. Yeah, there'll be surprises along the way, unexpected events, and these heighten the drama. When I, when, when I write, I always ask the what if question, whether I'm writing a scene or whether I'm writing a chapter, I think, well, this can happen. But I remember Robert McKee saying when, people are at the cinema, they are ahead of the screenwriter. They always, they're always anticipating what's going to happen. And if they're anticipating what's going to happen and it happens, then they'll feel disappointed. So the what-if question is where, and this is where you kind of make sure that structure uh, doesn't get in the way. You have an idea where the story is going, but you ask yourself as you're writing it, how can I undermine my own expectations? How about this happening? How about that happening? And that those unexpected things, those surprises for the writer become surprises for the reader because the reader can't anticipate them any more than you can. And that's really exciting. That's why dreams are so great because you don't know where they're going to go. Yeah. You know? And they're endlessly entertaining and perturbing. Um, so surprises are really important. And, and so even if you're writing a genre, a piece of genre fiction, you still need to undermine the reader's expectations. You may take them to where they expect to go, but not in the way that they expect to get there. And I think that's really important. Actually, with genre, if you're, um, you can actually undermine the reader's expectations to a large extent. Something like, again, No Country for Old Men, where Cormac McCarthy plays with genre and uses it to, to illustrate his themes. So you're getting two things uh, at once. I think, to my mind, the perfect novel is one that has got a really good, strong narrative pull of great storyline, but one that isn't that is also so finely written, as I think No Country for All Men is. And, and that there are then, you know, these unexpected these, uh, moments, these surprises. Uh, incidentally, that was written as a screenplay before it was then adapted as a novel. So he, he started as a screenplay. So, I, you know, he certainly had cinema in mind. Um, then there's a critical choice. Um, that's where, I, like in the, in the pinch in a screenplay, it's where the character commits. It's where the character commits. And we want a character to commit. So, great. And then there's the climax, Usually a novel will build some sort of crescendo. It doesn't have to be a big battle. It doesn't have to be life and death, although actually people do enjoy reading that. It can be something like on Chesil Beach where, where it's what's going on between two people in a very intimate situation. Uh, and, and, and so it's a kind of really small kind of story in some ways, but of course it's not to them. So it doesn't have to be a big battle. So that's the climax. Then reversals. Um, that's where, again, you're surprising uh, surprising the reader. Tell us a bit more about reversal. I've seen this about, but I don't really know because it would seem almost, uh, you know, to suggest that you're going to undo your climax. Is what what does reversal really mean in terms of so, you know, the, the you you get your epic battle or whatever it might be, um, or the, you know, the, the romantic couple come together. What does the reversal mean in a sort of structural? Way? Yeah, reversal. I guess again, I'm going to spoil gaps before you, but uh, if you haven't read it, I mean, it's arguable that the. Uh, the the climax to Gatsby is is where everything goes wrong. Gatsby's losing Daisy to Tom Buchanan, and uh, he 
they leave in the car. He's not driving. Daisy's driving. That's right, because Tom Buchanan knows he's won. It's all gone wrong. And then the worst thing that could happen uh, is that uh, Myrtle gets hit by the car and she's lying there in the dust and all bleeding out and everything. And it's just this terrible moment. And, and that's the climax. Everything's gone wrong. And then I guess the resolution is that, well, the resolution is tied in with the reversal. The reversal is that that the, the Myrtle's husband thinks that the person who killed his wife is Gatsby, and it's not. And, and so uh, Gatsby is, is shot, and that's a, a reversal. That's something that we don't expect, I guess. There are better ideas, for, there are better examples of reversals, but that's a good one, as mm-hmm. I can think of uh, at the moment. The resolution is that, well, Gatsby didn't, you know, he, he failed, and, and uh, Nick Carraway goes back and talks to his parents and then realises that, you know, it was a construct, the whole thing. Uh, so it's a very melancholic kind of story and this kind of last last uh, page that I've never fully managed to kind of uh, understand which I think is alright actually it's kind of there's something enigmatic about the idea of rowing against the tide and the thing about memory etc and of course tied in with the, 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 you know, the American past so yeah that's that's really what a, a, um, a reversal is again it's it's undermining the, the reader's expectations and then you have, a, you have a resolution and it will be emotionally satisfying even if it's downbeat it might be open ended even Sometimes it's elegaic, it'll be reflecting back. Uh, again, Cormac McCarthy does this a lot with his fiction, uh, reflection on the you know the American West or what's been lost or whatever. I mean, the end to no country is 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 very is a beautifully sad ending. You know, as this 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 police chief who's you know faced with something he can't cope with, and it's a, it is no country for old men. So he's, he's given up and uh, and he's, he's reflecting on the past and that's been corrupted. So you know all these things, and that's where theme comes in, and that's actually in the end, I think that's where. I mean, structure is important and it's good to think, well, what am I, how am I going to end this novel? How am I going to make it stay with the reader and give them something to think about after, long after they, you know, they close the book? And I think that's, that's where theme comes in and that's where what is important to you, what you're passionate about, uh, comes out in the writing, which I don't think necessarily will come out straight away. I don't think you set off necessarily to write with a theme in mind, but I think what's important to you will come out in the writing. And I think you can kind of heighten that as time goes by, you know, as you edit, etc., and as you ponder on it, and as you've got more time to think about it because you're not thinking about the plot, which is, of course, the structure. Ian, thank you so much for all of those insights. That's absolutely fantastic. A huge thank you to Ian for his time. And don't forget that you can find out more about our creative writing courses, workshops, and mentoring on our website. If you have questions or want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Writer Centre, and you'll find us on Facebook by searching National Centre for Writing. Don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and clicking the orange drop-down box on the homepage. As a UK-registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over on the website by hitting the Support Us button in the top nav. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast because it helps other writers to find us. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.